0: Uh, Things that we've talked about in this episode can be found. Oh, sorry. Links to things we found. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski.
1: And I'm Todd Mack.
0: And this week we are talking about the doctor's wife from the novel, blindness and just a word of warning listeners if you are in the habit of listening to this in the car with your children this story gets into the depravity that humankind is capable of enacting upon other humans and it might not be the best thing to listen to with an impressionable child uh, in the background in the car while while you're uh, just blasting this through the radio so maybe pop in the earbuds for this particular episode
1: would you say this is probably the most intense work that we've covered
0: well, we did cover mouse and the Holocaust. Yeah. But does, does that one have, like because of the stylistic choices, does that have a veneer over it that kind of definitely a distancing prevents that intensity? Yeah, there's a distancing effect because of the comic book medium that's used, but it's still pretty raw and pretty, pretty yeah. powerful. This um, would be in that, it, it's this, in that vein. It, yeah. Yeah. We're like, that's what I can think of off the top of my head that approaches some of the, uh, the darkness that's present in this novel.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, And this is a request from patron Aaron.
0: Thank you, Aaron.
1: Thank you, Uh, Aaron.
0: (laughs) So if you are unfamiliar listeners with blindness, which I actually was not familiar with this novel before, it's a 1995 novel written by the portuguese author and todd correct me if i'm wrong but because this name is portuguese we would say jose instead of jose is that correct
1: jose yeah jose saramago
0: jose saramago uh and it is a story of a contagious outbreak of blindness that causes panic and the let's say entire breakdown of society uh as a quick summary for that um i had never Converse. read this uh, had you read this before todd
1: I read this before, um, I know, I know that I have read this. I read it in Portuguese when I was learning Portuguese. Um, and, uh, Saramago has a really interesting writing style in which he uses essentially almost no punctuation. Uh, and so
0: for, for English readers, if you've read Cormac McCarthy's the road I have, or any of his works, he always does it that way. He, He, Cormac McCarthy does not rely on traditional punctuation. Um, so when you're learning a language, I'm guessing that might not have been the easiest text to pick up.
1: <laughs> no, it was not the easiest text for me to pick up and read. Um, and I remember kind of struggling through it and getting some stuff out of it and just sort of kind of moving on. Um, and uh, this was the first time that I actually kind of <laughs> – that I can say that I actually read it. The, the first time I read it was sort of just an experiment. So this
0: time did you read it in English or Spanish, or uh, Portuguese?
1: I listened to the audible, um, the audible version of this, which is, re- is really interesting just as a, a kind of a, a study of text and language and stuff because it's, it's a translation, uh, but it's also audio, which is in, in some ways worse than the original because you don't get this really unique text. Mm-hmm. I'm like written text, but it's also uh, maybe closer to what, uh, I don't know, like the ideal,
0: <laughs> I think. Right, because it, in our verbal speech, there's no punctuation. There, there is no punctuation. You 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 don't note that absence in the audio version, uh, and you just get the flow of language. Though you do still get some, so I also listened to the audio version. I knew I was going to be able to read a full novel before we had to rec- record this episode. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was listening to the audible version while well, I did everything that I could, you know, while being able to listen to something, able to split my attention, you know, uh, to finish it in time. And there's still in that audible version. Um, sometimes the, like, there's still an ambiguity about like who's saying what, who is the narrator. Um, sometimes the narrator seems right. very definite. Sometimes it's very indefinite and sometimes it shifts from like one sentence to the next. I'm like, wait, this point of view just. Yeah, just jumped.
1: It's uh, it's kind of like the the best way to approach this text, and the worst way to approach this text is a, as an audio text. Uh, yes, but I, but I think it's just uh, I think it's interesting, um, and and I was thinking about whoever narrated it, or whoever the editor was that that prepared the copy for the narrator. <laughs> um, that's quite a task because it's really really well read and. Uh, somebody went through and created a copy of this that has punctuation in it for whoever was reading it. And I think they did uh, just a magnificent job.
0: I suppose this is a good point f- uh, for us to go ahead and pitch that today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com, where you can get a free audiobook download, such as Blindness by Jose Saramago. Uh, you get a free download and a free 30-day trial at www.audibletrial.com slash protagonist, and there you can find over 180,000 titles for you to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or if you're going old school, your MP3 player. Is anyone still doing an MP3 player? I doubt it. Don't. <laughs> <I think laughs> I'm not even sure that. if they're manufactured. Yeah, Apple I still think sells the that.
1: iPod, so... Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, some trivia about this book. It has been... Well, I, just a reminder, this is a 1995 novel. So we've got at this point what 20 22 years. Yep. At the time of this recording, we're all like,
1: um, okay, carry the three. <laughs> <laughs>
0: math. Somebody to Whatever I do math on this podcast. I swear in the next like 3 days I'm going to hear podcasts or on the radio someone saying the words, don't do math live. Never do math. Live. <laughs> Even basic math. You never do it live on the air. <laughs>
1: Oh man, we're the worst
0: uh, I mean, we both have humanities PhDs Not anything in the sciences <laughs> Okay, so This book has been adapted in those 22 years As a stage play, a film And a German opera
1: That blows my
0: mind Yeah, I did not see the opera coming I bet it's intense especially German? Ooh, yeah, there's some, some harsh language saying some harsh things Like <laughs> German opera Pretty intense <laughs> Uh, the film adaptation was made in 2007 and it stars Mark Ruffalo and Julianne Moore. And uh, Danny Glover also is in there.
1: Uh-huh. Um,
0: it, when he agreed to allow the film to be made, Saramago insisted that the location be left nonspecific and the cast is deliberately multicultural. Um, in the book, it never says where this is taking place and you actually never have, I don't think any race identifiers for any of the cast. Right, any of the characters? No. I mean everyone's once people are blind, they're they're not describing uh what's going on, but but it's left deliberately ambiguous uh what these characters look like and where this is happening in the in the novel. And as much as possible, he wanted to have that carried over into the film. Uh the book, as we've already noted, has several unique aspects in terms of its writing. Uh we already mentioned that it eschews a traditional punctuation, but also no character is given a name. Including a dog that joins their group that is just referred to as the is it the crying dog Have the I dog of, of tears the dog of tears that's what it was the dog of tears because the dog licks the tears off of one of the characters' faces and then it's called the dog of tears from there on. Um, at times, because of this, it's hard to know who is narrating or even who is speaking. Uh, and again, the person doing the audiobook, I don't envy them the task of <laughs> trying to uh, assign the voice inflections to to anything that they had to say. Um, also, Sarmago wrote a sequel called Seeing um that had several of the characters from this novel uh i read a quick summary of that on wikipedia and it was one of the worst summaries i've ever seen on wikipedia it does not seem to have the love that blindness has blindness had a very thorough wikipedia article seeing had like a one paragraph thing that actually didn't make much sense trying to explain what the plot was yeah for this the uh the full synopsis
1: i do i'll do my i do my (laughs) best so as the book begins, uh, there's a man driving his car in a big city, and suddenly he inexplicably goes blind. And it's not a black blindness, uh, as is typical, it's, um, it's this bright, he, all he can see is this bright milky white. And then uh, a kind man who happens to be passing by takes this blind man home. And uh, And then the blind man goes to an eye doctor, and there appears to be nothing wrong with his eyes. And then later the blind man and his wife realize that the man who had brought him home has also stolen his car. And then that thief, after stealing the car, also goes blind. Uh, And then the doctor is pouring through his medical books, and he's talking to his colleagues, but he can't figure out why this blindness is happening. Um, Physiologically, everything looks fine. Uh, there's There's nothing to explain the blindness, and then he himself goes blind as well. In another part of the city, a prostitute who is a patient of the eye doctor and wears dark glasses uh, goes blind in the middle of satisfying a customer in a hotel. Very quickly, the government gets involved when the doctor tells them that there appears to be an epidemic of blindness. And he and the other blind patients are shipped uh, to an abandoned insane asylum. Uh, The doctor's wife tells the soldiers who are taking the doctor away that she is blind as well, even though she is not. So she's, she says that she's blind so that she can go and be with him. Kind of reminded me of um, Life is Beautiful. Yes. Uh, so upon arrival in the asylum, a sergeant explains over a loudspeaker the rules. And basically the rules are no one is allowed to leave. If they try to leave, they will be shot. Uh, food will be sent in every day, but there are no medicine. If there's an outbreak of sickness, no one will intervene. Uh, they're supposed to burn their garbage, but if a fire breaks out, no one will intervene. Uh, and the, the asylum is split into two sections and one section is for the blind people. And the other side is for people who have been in contact with the blind people and will essentially potentially go blind. So the thief is one of the original members of the blind group. And most of the people in the first group are people who were patients of the doctor because they'd been in contact with each other. So the thief is one of these guys, um, He uh, gropes the woman with dark glasses, and she kicks him in the leg and punctures his leg with her stiletto heel. Uh, And there are no antibiotics, and this wound very quickly becomes very infected. (laughs) Um, And then more people are streaming in. The thief's leg gets worse and worse. He gets delirious and desperate for help. Uh, He tries to approach the soldiers outside the asylum, and they shoot him dead. Uh, later, the paranoid soldiers um, massacre another group of men who are just sitting waiting for the food delivery. Uh, and then more and more people start showing up. Dozens turn into hundreds, and chaos ensues. There's dead bodies around. There's blood and no
0: uh, bathrooms,
1: so they're just there's no yeah. There's no bathrooms, so there's just uh, excrement everywhere. It's a it's a miserable, horrible place. And the doctor's wife can is the only one who can see, and she's hiding. That the fact that she can see, but she can but see. By this all point, of this everyone who stuff. was brought
0: in that was thought that like, they might go blind, they have gone blind,
1: right? Yes. So uh, soon the place fills. Uh, there's nearly three hundred people there, um, and there's kind of some stability established. Uh, the doctor's ward, however, is seems to be kind of the most orderly, um, and it's basically all these people from the doctor's office. So it's the doctor and his wife, the first blind man and his wife. Uh, who joins the group shortly after they arrive. There's an old man with an eye patch, the girl with dark glasses, a little boy with a squint, uh, who's also from the doctor's office, and there's a couple of other women. Um, And then there's uh, the old man with the eye patch has a radio, and the group listens to the radio each day as society sort of descends into chaos. Uh, And then one night, the man who's talking on the radio just announces, I've gone blind, and then and then it cut the, the, the transmission cuts off. Um, so people stop using public transportation, and there's panic spread throughout the public. Nobody will drive or fly. The doctor um, asks everybody to play a game in which each person describes the moment in which they went blind, and one man keeps remarking that each story seems like an allegory or metaphor. Um, uh, after some time, it's, t- it's difficult to measure time in this novel, uh, but after some time, the doctor's wife is uh, weary of hiding her ability to see, and the doctor tells her if she tells people that she can see, she'll become a slave to everyone. And she says, I don't care. I'm going to tell everyone that I can see, and I'm going to do it tomorrow. So she, her plan is to do it the next day. And then that next day, uh, one group of blind men uh, decide that they're going to take all the food and charge the other people for it. They have clubs, and one of them has a gun. The doctor decides to go and talk to them. Uh, they're really rude, and then the doctor's wife stands up uh, to the, the man with the gun, and uh, he says he's going to shoot her, and he says, I won't forget your voice, and she says, I won't forget your face. And then it, it's funny how every time she says, she 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 mentions the fact that she can see something, everyone just assumes that it's it's just a figure of speech,
0: like just left over from
1: when she could see. Yeah. So uh, the doctor's group chooses him to represent them to the thugs and they go around uh, gathering their valuables and the doctor's wife finds that she had brought a pair of scissors with her and she hides them which is not difficult in a place where everyone <laughs> is blind and uh she sneaks out in the night just to kind of do some some recon on the thugs and then the next day the thugs are tired of receiving valuables and they yes, demand valuables the really have and no there's... worth in this place right Um, so then there's this interesting debate among the doctor's group about honor. All the men are saying, no, we're not going to let our women go. And then finally the doctor's wife and the other women agree to go so that they can have something to eat. They say, basically, if we don't go, then nobody eats and we're all going to die. So they go to offer themselves up. And then that night, the doctor's wife is awake and she sees her husband slip into bed with a woman with dark glasses and she watches as they satisfy each other's needs carnal needs and then she speaks to them while they're in bed with each other and then rather than being angry she just feels pity for them especially she feels pity for the girl with dark glasses who must be really really lonely and uh and then there's this really touching scene um where the the, the girl with dark glasses and the doctor's wife are talking and the girl with dark glasses tells the doctor's wife that she must call her two and this is important and i don't know how I don't know that there's a better way to translate this, but um in in Spanish or in Portuguese like in in Spanish you have um uh você which is like an usted form. So there's there's a formal way of addressing someone and an informal way of addressing someone. And I d I didn't have the Portuguese text with me, uh, but I'm assuming that all of these people have been addressing themselves using the formal você. And that, um, and that, this the woman with dark glasses is telling the doctor's wife to call her too, meaning please use the the informal, more intimate uh, way of addressing me when you call me you, uh, which is, is it has to be meaningful in this uh, because everybody in this novel is is called by a description except in this moment where the girl with dark glasses asks the doctor's wife to call her too. Did I yeah, explain that okay? I think
0: that's what it's one of those things that the the translation you lose some of the meaning and there's really no equivalent in English to what's happening,
1: right? I mean, the equivalent is is you and uh, thou or something, uh, but it it doesn't work in modern English. Uh, but what she's saying is, I want you to address me in a way that expresses far more intimacy and trust between us than the way that we've been addressing each other up until now.
0: And even within this word, it's it, like you said, everyone even in English, there's a formality to the way everyone is referring to each other. And the, yes, the, the camaraderie there is a very distant camaraderie that's being established. I would say, um, there's, there's still walls of formality, even in this ward where everyone is blind and you're seeing humanity crumble down. It's not like there's a core group that's becoming best friends or anything like that. No.
1: Um, so then the next day, the women from the doctor's group are marched, uh, they marched down to where the, the thugs are, uh, and they're raped. It's awful. Um, that's one of the hardest things that I've uh, come across in a very, very long time. Uh, uh, the doctor's wife thinks about stealing the gun from the man with the gun, uh, but she can't reach it because uh, because of where he has the gun placed. Um, and so they're there. They're raped. They're raped multiple times. And then... Um, And then finally they're allowed to leave, and as they're leaving, one of the women from their group dies uh, from injuries that she sustained uh, from these men. So then the doctor's wife goes back uh, the next day while the thugs are raping another group of women, and she has her scissors, and she sneaks up behind the man with the gun, and she stabs him in the neck, uh, and it kills him. And then kind of chaos ensues, and she, she tells everyone that she can see and that she's taking control of this place. And then an announcement comes, telling uh, everyone that there will be no more food. And then the men in the doctor's group decide that they're going to go back to where the thugs are, and they're going to take the th- they're going to take back the the food from the thugs. And the doctor's wife and the other women say they're going to go as well. The thugs have barricaded themselves in their room. The doctor's group attacks, and two of their number are killed. Uh, but none of these principal characters that I mentioned before um they're like crew member number six people basically red shirts. <laughs> red, Star shirt. red shirts um and then the doctor's wife tells some of the other prisoners that she can see and then that night one of the women sneaks out and sets fire to the barricade and the fire spreads very quickly and everyone's trying to get out but they're kind of worried about the soldiers because they're afraid that they're going to be shot and then they realize there are no soldiers because everyone in the city the country perhaps the world uh is blind and so the doctor's wife is now as far as we know, the only person in the world who can see. Uh, there's no reason to stay in this burned up prison. So, the doctor's original group so, the doctor and his wife, the first blind man and his wife, the girl with dark glasses, the man with the eye patch, and the little boy uh, they decide to walk to the doctor's house um, and they just come across countless uh, groups of blind people, some groups and some individuals. Uh, they find a – on the way to the doctor's house, they find a place to hide out. The doctor's wife goes uh, goes out to try to find some food, and she finds a storeroom in the back of a supermarket, uh, and it's super dark, and she blindly makes her way through it, and then she finds some matches, and she finds a ton of food, and she escapes with a couple of bags of food, um, and the people can smell the food on her, and she kind of has to run away from them, um, and she she stops in the street after she escapes from these people, and she weeps. And then this dog comes and licks the tears off of her face, and this dog is now known as the Dog of Tears, and it joins their group. The doctor's wife returns to the group, uh, and they rest for a bit, and then um, they get some new shoes, and then they make their way to the house of the girl with dark glasses. Uh, There's an old woman there uh, who's her neighbor, and she's super cranky, but she's not starving. (laughs) She uh, has a garden in the back of the apartment where she grows cabbages, and there's lots of rabbits and chickens, and she's surviving. Um, despite being alone and totally blind. Um, they, they, they spend the night in the house of the girl with dark glasses, then they move on the next day. She just says that she wants to stay in her house, but the doctor's wife um, insists that they stay together as a group. Uh, they tie this rope together out of bed sheets, and everybody holds onto it as they make their way through the city so they don't get lost. Uh, they finally make it to the doctor's house. Um, it has remained locked for this whole time, but he still has a key that he took with him when he went to the hospital. Just so to explain they,
0: how it's still – like this is uh, like a fifth-floor apartment, so no one could get in through the windows or anything.
1: Yeah. Uh, so they settle in. They take off their filthy clothes and put on clean ones. And then they have this really deep philosophical conversation in which someone states that right and wrong are simply a manifestation of our relationship with other people. And the girl with the dark glasses says inside there's, there's something inside of us um, that has no name, and that's who we are uh the doctor's wife finds bottles of fresh water and they drink they drink it in this kind of it's almost like a religious ceremony
0: (laughs) very much (laughs) to drink
1: clean water um and then that night it rains really hard and the doctor's wife wakes up in the night and she goes out on the balcony she takes all of her clothes off and washes herself and the clothing and the water um in this really beautiful (laughs) yeah there might be some imagery there (laughs) And then the other women, the other women wake up and they come out and they also remove their clothes and they're kind of they're bathing each other and they're washing the clothes and it's very it's it's really um, I, I think it's really beautiful. Uh, and then the man with the eye patch um, bathes in the bathtub. The, the 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 doctor's wife puts some water in the bathtub and and says that he can bathe there. And he goes in and bathes. And while he's bathing, one of the women comes and um, washes him from behind washes his uh, back for him washes his back and um he doesn't know who it is and the woman doesn't speak and he kind of hopes that it's the girl with dark glasses but he assumes it's probably the doctor's wife because he's an old man and she's a young beautiful girl and, and why would the girl with dark glasses be helping him bathe uh if she can't even see herself so next day they walk to the the house of the first blind man and they find a writer living there and um and they decide to just let him stay there. And he's working on a book. He writes by touch with a ballpoint pen. Um, and the doctor's wife tells him that she can see. And there's just this kind of sweet moment of kindness uh, among them. We're s- sort of semi-led to believe that maybe the story that we're reading is the story that's written by the by the writer. In yes, because
0: the- he's really interested in their story. And the doctor's wife promises to come back and tell it to him. To come something. back and
1: tell it to him. Um, and then in the nights, back in the doctor's house, um, his flat, the doctor's wife reads to the group in the night. Um, they go back to the flat of the girl with the glasses, and the old woman is dead, and she has the keys to the girl's flat in her dead hand. Uh, and they decide to bury the old woman, and it's a really hard work. But um, they want to give her a decent burial, so they bury her in the garden. The girl with glasses wants to leave a sign for her parents, but um, if they're blind, how, what could she possibly leave? And so the doctor's wife cuts off a lock of her hair, and they hang it on the doorknob, so that if the girl's parents come back, um, they'll know that she's been there. Uh, more reading in the night. They lament that there's no music, but they aren't musicians, so all they can do is read to. Or all they can do is listen to the stories that the that the doctor's wife reads to them. And there's kind of this this feeling of. Um, if not happiness, at least kind of contentment that they're all there and that they're safe and that they're clean and that they have food. Um, and the man with the eye patch, he says he doesn't want to get his sight back because he loves the girl with dark glasses and he wants to stay with her. And uh, and if she knew that he – I mean, she could see him as an old man, she, there's no way that they would be together. Um, and then she says she actually wants to live with him and that she loves him enough to be with him. And uh, And so that night, everyone lets them sort of have the room to themselves and the the narrator tells us it was it's clear in that moment who was the person who had washed the old man's back in the in the bathtub. Uh, the doctor and his wife the next day go back to the to the store to go to the storeroom where the where the doctor's wife had found all the food. And there's this horrible horrible smell um, and this terrible feeling. And as she makes her way down towards the storeroom, she realizes that it's um, it's full of dead people. And and her best guess is that it, when she was running out and they smelled the food. They realized that there was a storeroom and that they, um, in sort of a rush to get down to where the food was, they trampled each other and slipped down the stairs, and uh, and it turned into just this giant mass of death. <laughs> um, and so she feels really horrible. They, they They kind of run away. They make it to a church. The church is full of people. And, uh, and they go inside, and as the doctor's wife looks around, she realizes that all of the images in the church have been um, – their eyes have been covered. So they've either – someone's either painted over their eyes or, or wrapped blindfolds around the statues of all of the images in the church. Um, and then she starts to tell the people what she can see, and everybody runs out of the church because they're terrified uh, at the thought of a blind god who cannot see them, essentially – um, and so everybody leaves and the whole church is empty and the doctor and his wife take the opportunity to steal the food from the people who have run out. And then they go back to, the, to their flat and um, they talk about going into the country where they could find um, produce and uh, livestock and wells with clean water. Uh, the first man uh, – so they go, kind of go, go to bed with that thought on their minds. The first blind man goes to sleep. And while he is closing his eyes, the white turns into black. And when he wakes, his opens his eyes back up. He can see, and uh, the doctor's wife just weeps with kind of fatigue and relief. And um, she just she's had this huge burden to carry of being the only person can, that can see, and she kind of releases all of that. Um, and then the girl with dark glasses regains her sight and she can see the old man and he says, oh, now you can see me. And she says, yep. And I'm still here cause I love you. And that's awesome. Uh, and then the, the doctor regains his sight and all through the city, everyone regains their sight. And it ends with the doctor saying, we didn't go blind. We didn't go blind. We are blind. Um, but that the city is still there and that's the end of blindness. Good job, Todd. And now I feel just totally drained.
0: (laughs) I forgot to mention in the trivia that in 1998, Saramago won the Nobel prize for literature and blindness was specifically mentioned amongst his works as the reason that he won the Nobel prize for literature.
1: It's a, it's an amazing, powerful, uh, difficult text.
0: Yes. To everything that you just said. (laughs) So I didn't even jot down uh, any notes for uh, like potential discussion topics. I figured we're just gonna have a freewheeling discussion running off <laughs> running off of this because there's so much here. Uh, this is one of those texts I think can easily hold up to multiple episodes worth of discussion. Um, but one thing that did stand out to me as I was reading or well listening uh, to this was this idea that gets brought up several times about, uh, I mean, it gets into good and evil, but also like what motivates people,
1: mm-hmm. what, is,
0: what is driving our actions. And the first time that I noticed it, and then it, it came up a few more times, um, it talked about the car thief. So there at the very beginning, we meet the man who has gone blind as he's driving and he's sitting in traffic and people are telling him, oh, it's probably going to pass. This, you know, just must be a temporary thing. And what, what can we do? And someone offers to take him home and everyone kind of says, all right, fine. Uh, this This guy's got it you know, our, our game of good Samaritan chicken is over. He won. <laughs> and, <Right. laughs> and he's <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Yes. He, he's got this and he drives him home. And then the, uh, we don't find out that the guy took his car. Cause it, cause we follow the blind man into his house and he like knocks over uh, a vase. And then he just sits holding the flowers that are in the vase, waiting for his wife to come home. And he's just sitting there in silence waiting. And then when the wife comes home, she says, well, let's get you to a doctor right away and then the wife is like the car's gone where are your keys he's like i don't i don't remember the keys like my mind wasn't on my keys (laughs) and they realized this this car thief stole it and then later on it it cuts to the car thief's point of view and it says specifically when he offered help he was motivated just by the good decent humanity that's in all of us that wants us to relieve suffering uh when we see it um it does say that he was a car thief like before this he had stolen other cars that mm-hmm. <laughs> was like his profession was being a car thief but that was not what he was thinking when he decided to help this person It ended up being the result of this action is that he looked at the keys in his hand and saw the blind man going into the apartment and said hey i don't even have to hotwire this e- thing easy car theft <laughs> yes
1: it even mentions that um because he had said do you want me to stay here and wait for your wife to get get home and had he done that he wouldn't have stolen anything. He would have just sat down on the couch with the with the blind man They would have waited till the wife got there, and then he would have left. Uh, so, yeah, interesting.
0: And, and then the other motivation that stood out to me when I started to say, huh, I wonder if this is going to be something that gets addressed, is when the, uh, the doctor, after he has gone blind and he's trying to alert the government that something serious seems to be happening, uh, he is first on the line with a bureaucrat, like a mid-level bureaucrat, who doesn't really believe the doctor's story is like, sure. You're a doctor. Like he's saying, doctor kind of like, I know <laughs> you, you're just some quack. Um, and the narrator says that this bureaucrat is what we're all made of half indifference, half malice. And I, <laughs> it's just interesting to me that we, the car thief was motivated by inherent goodness. And we're told that specifically like some inherent goodness within him. But then we get to this government bureaucrat who the doctor is reaching out to help, to help um, stop an outbreak of blindness to you know do something good for the common citizenry, and the director says, "Well, he's made of half indifference, half ma- half malice, like all of us." Uh, and uh, that that bureaucrat does end up you know halting this threat from being made known to someone higher up in the chain of command until right. more outbreaks happen. Uh, and, and then throughout you know the novel, we we see all these. Uh, you know this breakdown of society we see depravity on every level like the mental hospital literally becomes a hell it it gets compared to hell over and over again in the text but we're still like have these discussions about are they are people acting based on uh animal instinct are they acting based on a moral code that's within them are they violating their moral code um you know another time when it happens is when the uh the doctor's wife kills the thug you know the thug that's um, you know, causing the greatest uh, depravity that we see in the novel, really. Um, it's treated as though that's the right choice. But then she has this this discussion where she's like, if you had told me at any point in my life, I'd be a murderer, I would have told you you're crazy. Yet here I am, <laughs> a yeah. murderer. And in some ways I'm being lauded as a hero for being a murderer, but I can't believe that I became a murderer. And, and so this this relationship between motivation and action seems to be one thing that Saramaga is, is toying with.
1: And the, and the, the circumstances that lead us to that, this, uh, it's, I mean, there's, obviously this is a, a metaphor, an allegory for something. Um, I don't know. For a lot of think, things, probably. <laughs> yeah. I think in, I think similar to what, when we talked about Lord of the Rings, um, it's hard to pin it down and say, it's, it's only just one thing. And maybe if was here. He would say, no, of course it's just one thing. Uh, but i think what makes this novel so powerful is that the blindness could be a metaphor for a, a, a million different things probably but this it's in losing um in losing their sight that uh that we see uh everything else uh, all of these uh, different aspects of these characters so much uh, more clearly i think um and we see their motivations uh, changing or coming out in in interesting ways. Just, in man,
0: some that's... ways, it made me think of, uh, I mean, recently we mentioned uh, the film Midnight in Paris. Yeah. Uh, and in there, there's a scene where, uh, what's the main character's name? Gil meets Bunuel, the uh, Spanish postmodern mm-hmm. filmmaker. And he says to Bunuel, I've got an idea for a story. Uh, there's some people that are at a dinner party and they can't get out of the room. And as mm-hmm. they can't leave the room, like they're stripped away to their bare essentials of, you know, they're more yeah. animalistic versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Buwell just says like, why can't they leave the room? And he's and Gil just says they can't, which is, it's a reference to <laughs> a Buwell film called, um, the exterminating angel,
1: uh-huh.
0: angel exterminator, um, which is just that, I, I mean, and it's seeing when these people are trapped and they can't move on, like the, the trappings, the, um, the polite appearance of humanity gets stripped away from them. Uh, and this is like a more, uh, you know, wide social commentary version of that. <laughs> it's a more, yeah. uh, the, the cause is is more concrete as to what's causing it. Whereas uh, Boonewell's film is more um, abstract. Uh, but, but I think a similar thing is being explored about um, what is it that, it, it, what is it in our society that we do that's like performative about, politeness that that becomes it seems to be second nature but what happens when that second nature gets gets stripped away and we really see what's our first nature <laughs> you know what what is uh humanity's first nature and not uh the second nature of we we function as a society because we have the social contract of how we interact with each other we have a social contract of what uh we're going to do in terms of our economy you know all these other things if that all gets taken away what's left
1: i think it's fascinating how saramago has 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 kind of put his finger on this thing that makes us human, which is our ability to see. And that when, when that's stripped away, it, I mean, like everything hits the fan so quickly when nobody can see. And I mean, this is, I was telling somebody the story of this and they were like, that sounds like a horror, like a horror story. And I said, it is a horror story. It's, it's terrifying. Um, And I mean, it's it's like it's I am Legend, and it's a a million other you know apocalyptic or post apocalyptic stories. But he but he's done rather than uh, rather than inflicting humanity with some crazy thing that turns them into rabid monstrous beasts. He just takes away your sight and lets that happen on its own, which is fascinating to me. And Um, and you
0: might say like so many structures of society. Like, would continue to exist, but he points out, like, power goes out because there's no one that can man that job to keep power running. Uh, you know, uh, all the city's water supply stops functioning the way it's supposed to function. Uh, and, uh, like, the first thing to go in the story that starts to cause this breakdown is transportation. And it's not because everyone's blind, it's because they become scared of either Whoever's going driving. While driving or being in a vehicle with someone who goes blind while driving or being walking on the road when someone goes blind, who's driving and loses control of their vehicle. And and once I think about how much uh, modern transport is, uh, you know, the source of modern life, right? All the conveniences, like how much of our food is actually sourced you know, by the people who are actually consuming it, how much of it is being transported by semi trucks, by train, you know, by the, all these other things. Um, and, and once that transportation is gone, even though most of the, the society at that moment still has their site, things start to go sideways
1: for everyone. So one of my, one of my favorite questions is what makes us human and, um, and what so on the one hand what makes us human and on the other hand what makes you you and and how do you know that you are you and how do i know that i am me um i think i just think it's so interesting that it's like Saramago with this very delicate hand has just taken this one tiny thing away from humanity and and affected this enormous shift in in everything and and brings up those really deep questions about who are we as humans what makes us human uh what makes me me um and and he's he's done it by just taking away you know the simplest thing which which is sight and i mean there are blind people all over the world today and and you know i'm not saying like that they're not human (laughs) um I'm just saying that uh, when you take that one thing and spread it out all the way across humanity, um, fascinating things happen. And I I think Saramago was certainly onto that.
0: Uh, Yeah. Um, And I think it's, I mean, obviously this is fiction, this is speculative, but nothing in the speculation felt like a bridge too far as to what would happen if a mass outbreak of
1: blindness happened to a population center. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it just, it, it, I think it's, I think it's a, a sign of a great writer when they can write a story and you're thinking all along, of course that's what would happen. Of course that's what would happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I was never surprised by anything that happened in this story. Um, everything made sense and it's like well of course that's how the end of the world is going to happen everyone's going to go blind and that's it (laughs) i mean just felt so every there was a sense of inevitability about everything that happened and there's Um, these
0: efforts to cling to normalcy that gets stripped away so quickly
1: yeah so so does the blindness one question for me is does the blindness fundamentally change who these people are or does it simply bring out who they really are? So I think, I mean, what we can say that changes
0: immediately and we can dig into like the revelations about each person's character that that we find um, it changes their interactions with other people. Like that's, that's the
1: initial change. Right. Um, And, and that's, I mean, we should point out at the very end when they're talking about morality and one of the characters says morality is just, our relationships with other people. It's how we interact with other people. So continue.
0: As I was gonna say, we see, you know, the worst selfish versions, uh, particularly, uh, treating others through fear. Like, uh, all these people who are quarantined, uh, and it's not just quarantined for safety. Like they get quarantined, uh, in a way that dehumanizes them because everyone else is scared of becoming what, what they are. Um, so uh-huh. they it's not just containing the disease, like, uh, the military, uh shoots anyone who comes too close which is still quite far away from the actual military and like the, the number of supplies that are given it's not really taking care of these people who are being quarantined right it's just now what, what's the bare minimum we can do to keep them separate from us uh is, is what we see and then inside uh the wards of uh the abandoned mental hospital uh there's Kind of this initial nod towards civility that breaks down <laughs> uh, in the worst way imaginable when uh, the this group of thugs uh, and that's what they're referred to just as the thugs, right? The uh- the thugs, yeah.
1: The man with the gun, the accountant, and the thugs.
0: And I think the uh, you had mentioned, like there are blind people who can function. And the reason, one thing that helps the thugs to be able to take control is that the accountant uh, was blind before and is not as lost as everyone else he knows braille yeah and he's (laughs) able to function at a higher level than everyone else who's just been struck blind uh not to the level of the doctor's wife who can see obviously but at a higher level than everyone else in there and that's he's key to the thugs being able to assert uh control
1: so i'd like to go i'd like to talk about some of these characters and i'm i'm fascinated with this question of does the blindness expose uh like something that was always there. Or mm-hmm. does it does it change them into something right. different so the from thugs who they always, originally are?
0: Were they always bullies, and now they're being like uh, more extreme versions of the bully nature right. that they were carrying with them before? Um, and it was so the
1: first. We, we, let's say, like first blind man. The first blind man. Do we know enough about the first blind man to say who he is before or after?
0: Not really. I mean, we don't. We don't have any sense of career. We have a sense that he, uh, like he he and his wife are one of the loyal pairs within the text, right? Um, but there, there are th-
1: moments where he's kind of a jerk to his wife. Yes, and then and there are other moments where he's you know kind to her. Right, and, and I don't think that there's a huge. Is. Yeah, I don't think we can say there's a huge difference either in him or her. Uh. Yeah. Pre- or post-blindness. Yeah,
0: I would agree with that. And we don't spend any time with him pre-blindness at all.
1: Right. Um, maybe we could say about her, she does seem to kind of develop a spine uh, th- later on in the book when she you know, volunteers with the other women to, to offer themselves up to the thugs. Um, she stands
0: up to the husband who's still...
1: He's clinging, he's clinging to this old you know machista structure she's like this is just this is crazy that you're trying to defend my honor in this situation um what about the doctor so
0: he initially is he remains an authority figure uh in in the hospital uh because of his title and uh his nature it seems He is the one that tries to assert assert authority, but he definitely diminishes in terms of significance to the narrative as it goes on. And the doctor's wife ascends.
1: Right. There is this moment early in the, in the story where he's like, I'm a doctor, but I'm an eye doctor and there's (laughs) nothing, (laughs) there's nothing more useless than a, than a blind eye doctor. Right. Yeah. And I'm a doctor, but I also have no medicines. And so and no tools. Yeah, no tools to do any of the things that he can do, and he can't even, like, look at a patient and see what's going on, and so he feels then completely useless, Um, but he doesn't seem completely useless, right? I mean, he feels that way, but he does continue to lead, and um, certainly his wife... She becomes
0: the leader. Like, initially... Right. When she's pretending, I mean, when she becomes the leader once everyone in her group knows that she can see. She's definitively acting as the leader from there then on.
1: Yeah, but even before that, like when the when the when she goes and kills thief, the thug. Well, when the thief, even earlier, much earlier, when the thief is oh, dying, right. and he she says um, he says you can see, I know you can see, and she says no, I can't, I don't know what you're talking about, and he says don't worry, I won't tell anybody, but I know you can see. Uh, people very early on are catching on to the fact that this is the woman. This is the woman that we want to stay close to. Yeah. Um. Even more so than the doctor. Although I think they do kind of make a good team.
0: Yes, but she she has the biggest arc of
1: anyone. Yeah. And maybe um, the what about the girl with the dark glasses? Oh
0: yes, I, she also uh, changes the most. I would say. Uh, when we're first introduced to her, there's kind of um maybe a frivolousness about her um
1: she's just all about pleasure i mean she's, yes. she's she she's a prostitute but she, she se- really seems to enjoy her job <laughs> yeah and just uh getting pleasure in any way possible and um and getting paid for it and you know why not right
0: <laughs> and she becomes very maternal towards the boy with the squint uh-huh and she also um kind of becomes even more than the doctor i'd say the number two within their group in terms of ass- assertiveness
1: yeah um, and mostly because she's connected to the to the doctor's wife, in much in the same way as. Um, let's see if I can describe this without. So when the when the doctor's wife kills, the man with the gun. Uh, the man with the gun is in the middle of r- raping a woman, and uh, and when the doctor's wife, I mean, when pandemonium sort of ensues at that point and the doctor's wife whispers into that woman's ear um does she tell her that she can see or she just says like stay stay with me or something like that I,
0: I'm not 100% sure I'd have to go to check I think she just says stays with me but it's so obvious that she is leading her through this chaos in a way that only someone who can see would be able to do
1: Yeah and that woman says I'm with you <laughs> Yeah I'm with you <laughs> I'm totally with you and the same thing happens that night when the doctor lies with the, with the, the woman with the dark glasses and then, and then the two women have that conversation and the woman with dark glasses says, uh, call me too, they are linked at that point and basically inseparable. Yeah. Um, and, and there is uh, there's a strong sense of feminine solidarity in this novel that I think is really cool. I would agree with that when they're, when they're bathing on the balcony yeah, um, and they're washing each other's bodies.
0: Well, and and it's like, there's a moment in that scene, like as that scene happens, so the doctor's wife wakes up because of the rain and realizes I need to capture all this water I can. So she gets all the buckets she can and sets them out on the balcony. And then she's like, I got to take advantage of this and watch. Uh, And then it says that the other two women come and it makes this comment about like, there's nothing that's said between them or to alert any of any of them but they know it's the women that are out here. (laughs) Right. Like this, this moment was something that, that called the women together.
1: And one of the men wakes up. Is it the, the man with the eye patch?
0: Or I think it's the, uh, the, the first man that went blind
1: or the first blind man wakes up and kind of goes out. And he's like, Oh my gosh, all these women are out here bathing. And I mean, obviously can't see. And he just kind of sits there and listens for a minute. And then he says, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> and he goes back to bed. And then there's this beautiful line at the very end of when the women are, have finished um, bathing. And they say, it's, the line is something like, um, it was the only woman in the world with two eyes and six hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that they're really, I mean, they, they've almost become one, like one uh, organism these women yeah. because because of that there's they're so tightly knit um, yeah there's there's such it's is the I, I think one of the things that makes this novel so power, powerful and also just kind of emotionally draining is the the contrast of the depravity and this kind of visceral uh, depravity of, of humankind and juxtaposed with the beauty of and uh, solidarity and tenderness of which we are also capable in, in the most horrible of, of, of circumstances.
0: Yeah. Going back to several questions ago, and I don't know how many tangents we've gone down from this question, <laughs> uh, but you said uh, like, does the blindness change people? And I said, the, the first thing that you see change is how people treat other people. Uh, and I think this is getting back to that, like in this crisis There is, there still exists the ability to treat other people humanely and, like you said, with kindness and with tenderness. Uh, That's not the choice most people that we encounter make. But within this group, who are led by the doctor's wife, we can still see, and I don't know how much that is uh, a key to them being able to do this, but there is still uh, kind of a trust and uh, a filial nature that develops uh, that allows them to protect themselves to a degree from... Uh, the inhumanity that's raging around them. And I think the biggest contrast that you see is um the like the uh the mental hospital that is it's it's called hell uh and there's a lot of discussion about the worst thing about hell is actually the smells and not the fire. Um, <laughs> I love and, that. And this is before the mental hospital becomes an actual burning hell. Um, you know, the entire thing burns down. But the the smell is overpowering. And that gets contrasted with when they finally make it to uh this haven of the doctor and his wife's ha- apartment and we get this you know these cleansing scenes and this imagery but we also men- mentioned that there's almost a sacramental quality to uh the food that they partake of there and there's like this religious solidarity uh or, or this uh, communal uh, aspect with the communion of this this clean food and water uh that they found that that, that is binding them and there's uh this heavenly a- aspect to that setting compared to uh, the hell of, you know, from which they escaped.
1: Right. Uh, I can't remember where I was going to go.
0: We are all over the place in terms of uh, I focus really on questions. <laughs> I'm sorry for any listeners who wanted one of these questions answered and we've just diverged. Hopefully uh,
1: we're landing at some things that are still interesting to you. Well, this is, this is what happens when you write a novel like this is it just, it opens a million different cans. Um, none of them are really ever closed. I mean, <laughs> there are a thousand questions that we could ask about this novel none of which has a, a completely satisfactory answer uh but the questions are um are worth it i mean it's it's a gold mine it's, it's yeah. so rich i mean the very first question that
0: you get in the book is like why is anyone going blind you never find out right <laughs> like not, not even a hint towards uh the reason i guess uh there is a theory that's espoused that the the contagion is spread through eye contact with someone who's blind. If you look into a blind person's eyes, you will go blind is a theory that's get gets said, but the doctor's wife would, you know, be the counter evidence to that. She has seen every blind person's eyes.
1: Yeah. So one thing that I'm, that I'm wondering about is, I mean that they become depraved quite quickly. I mean, the, the, as far as just cleanliness and, uh, hygiene, um, the doctor's group does seem to kind of keep it together uh better than other groups but i don't i don't think we can say that like everybody except for them turns into wild crazy monsters
0: yeah um, uh well clearly we meet both the old woman and the writer uh who are not and even the first group that they encounter when they enter the city and they like they they don't know what's happened to society at all uh the radio has been dead for Again, time is a little sketchy, but it feels like weeks. (laughs) Days. Uh, Days days, or weeks. Days or weeks. Um, And the first group they communicate with are holed up inside of a shop, right? Like Mm -hmm. an appliance store, I think it was. Um, And that group is holding together, and they kind of explain the rules that people, you move until you find an empty space. No one knows where they are anymore, (laughs) so no one can find their own homes (laughs) any, any longer. But when you find an empty space... You can squat there, but if you leave, someone else is going to come in and squat there, and you just accept that that is part of our our our, our life now. Uh, and you spend your day wandering around trying to find food, and then at night, you or whenever it feels like night is coming on, <laughs> or when the weather is inclement, uh, you find somewhere to squat. And if someone's there, you leave them alone. Uh, and if you try and go back to where you were, don't be surprised if someone's there. and You just move on. Yeah. Uh, so there, there is some level of. Like boundaries, hey, yeah that that still seem to exist. And then from there, they go on and they meet the old lady who is still living. And uh, when she recognizes that the girl with the glasses was her neighbor, she lets them in uh, mm-hmm. and has a level of kindness, even if she still is acting selfishly and is concerned about her ability to survive, which is. <laughs> I kind of like the old lady. I do too.
1: <laughs> I was sad when she was died when she died.
0: Yeah, uh, and then the writer is also like another. Uh, they're in the, uh, the house of the first blind man, right? hmm And he's, like, there's this kind of awkward negotiation of, like, what are our social rules at this moment when this is my old house, but you're living here now? And he's kind of like, well, my old house has someone living in it. I tried to go back and I couldn't, so <laughs> I found this one. And, like, they, they have kind of a cordial negotiation as to what
1: we do now. Uh-huh. Um, and the plan is, I love the plan that they come up with. He says, you, go, you have a place to stay. It's not your own house, but it's a place. So you go back there and just come back and check every once in a while, just like I'm going back to check on my own house every once in a while. If my own house ever opens back up, I'll be there. And if you ever come back here and it's empty, it's yours. And they're like, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the inhumanity towards other people is most prevalent in the place that is hell. Uh, but once they're out in the city, it's – it's not the same level of violence being enacted towards other people it's not the same level of selfishness that is demanding that it's only for me and not for you uh th- that we saw in in the uh the abandoned asylum
1: and i think that's i think that's important because that that place is is further away from the natural state than You know, people just living in the wild in in the city. I mean, this is a, this is a contrived, it's a prison created by humans in, for the inhumane treatment of other humans. And in that, in that case, we see more violence, more uh, destructive behavior, but really only from uh, small groups of people. You see it from the thief who we know is a thief. Like he's a bad guy. He's a, he's been a bad guy from the beginning. He was a bad guy before he lost his sight. And he's a bad guy after he loses his sight. And he dies very quickly because he's a bad guy. We see it from the thugs who... I mean, the only person that could walk into a situation like that and think, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to steal everybody's food and I'm going to use my gun. And I'm going to, you know... I mean, those are are bad guys. Yeah. (laughs) And And then the soldiers who are...
0: uh, It gets accented because of where they're at and the situation they find themselves in. But it does seem like these... On the outside, but not people would not be people you would have wanted to associate with, right? And
1: then we see it from the soldiers who have created this uh, this prison and are terrified of becoming blind themselves, and so we see this huge motivation of fear and the the power that the fear of something bad can it's all it's like the fear of something bad happening to you uh, can create worse uh consequences than actually just having the bad thing happen to you um in the case of the soldiers but everybody else is just doing their best to make the most of a horrible situation right so when they were forced
0: into close confinement and close interaction with other people you saw a lot of the worst get accented in terms of selfishly demanding uh, that their carnal needs in terms of appetites of every kind get get satiated by everyone around them uh, and they're going to enforce their will on these other people uh, in the sit ci- in the city where there's a little bit more room to roam. It kind of became uh, every man, woman or group, small groups for themselves. And they're just trying to survive. They're not trying to assert control over, over others. They're just trying to find enough for them to live.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't. It doesn't seem to me like, like, oh, humanity is the worst. It's like parts of humanity are the worst, <laughs> and other parts of humanity are just trying to survive, and other parts of humanity are remarkably good.
0: Yeah, um, and I just, I, I know we're we're probably heading towards the end. I think it's worth noting that when they are wandering the city, uh, they they start talking about like there, there's a legitimate discussion that happens. Like oh, we're here now, how are we going to fix this? And they come across one group that is one day preaching kind of the hellfire and damnation. And this is the apocalypse and the world is over. And they're like, well, they're not trying to fix anything. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And, but then another day when they're out wandering, looking for food, they do come across a group and it says like there, there was a conversation happening of people listening and exchanging ideas about, Society about economics, about politics, about caring for one another, uh, and they said, "Like that's how we're going to start being able to fix this. <laughs> like, this is our yeah. new status quo. That's the conversation that will help us uh, to be able to to move forward." And then, before any of that has to be enacted, magically, everyone starts getting their sight back.
1: I know I kind of wish that they hadn't got their sight back. I, I kind of feel like the like the old man with the patch, huh? Like, oh. <laughs> Uh, but it is. It is. Um, there's a, it, it, city lights. Is that the the Chaplin film with the blind mm-hmm. girl? Yeah. And the the sweet relationship that develops between them, and then wh- what's going to happen when she gets her sight back? Um, there's something of that that element. But the, I I just love. Um, I think the sweetness and the sweet moments in this film are uh, heightened I'm by novel. the or... darkness.
0: Oh, what's you... that? You blinked out on me, and I. You said you you mentioned a film. Are you talking about City Lights? Or
1: are you talking about City Lights?
0: Okay, oh, sorry. Uh, well, it, it, I mean, in
1: both of these films. I, I mean, in both of these stories. Uh, you have the same the same dynamic, right? Between uh, sight and blindness, um, I and the I just I love in this story in blindness. I love the how the the sweet moments feel so much sweeter because of all of the darkness.
0: And I think it's worth saying that, um, we've talked about how blindness, uh, brought out the worst of a few characters, but it also allowed that relationship between the beautiful young woman and the old man, uh, which they both kind of acknowledged would not have existed (laughs) with sight. Uh, that's allowed to exist in this world.
1: Yeah. I just, I, I feel like I should mention, there's a book called, um, how to read literature, like a professor, Uh, are you familiar with this uh
0: i know someone mentioned it to me it may
1: have been you i've never read it it may have been me (laughs) it's a really good book um it's really really good for like a like an intro to lit class or something um but there's a there's a chapter in that book that's called he's blind for a reason you know (laughs) and it's all about um uh, i can't think of the word in um in english right now say it in spanish Discapacidades. Uh, disabilities disabilities thank you <laughs> it's all about disabilities in literature and um and how it's never accidental and obvi- i mean obviously <laughs> obviously in this book it's not accidental when it's titled blindness um, when it's titled blindness and literally every person well almost literally every person <laughs> uh is is blind but um but if you're interested in this in uh in in Blind, blindness or other uh, disabilities in literature, that chapter in How to Read Literature Like a Professor um, might be interesting to to any of you.
0: All right, um, before really
1: we do wrap up, which I know we have
0: to, I got the signal from producer Andrew, uh, the doctor's <laughs> wife. Uh, she's the one who never loses her sight and we never know why. Uh, but what do we know about her as a character? She's amazing. <laughs> yes. Like, I I love... The descriptions of her just emotional, physical, mental weariness. And yet she carries yeah. on like she is shouldering the burden for everyone. And yet because she's the one shouldering the burden, she cannot
1: stop. And she doesn't. I, I just, um, from the beginning when she, uh, when she basically sneaks into the place, pretending that she's blind. Well, and she doesn't I'm, tell
0: her husband what she's doing. Like mm-hmm. her husband says, they're coming for me. They're going to put me in quarantine. Please pack me a bag. And she just immediately silently packs two bags. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it really, it really does remind me of, um, life is beautiful. And the wife, uh, accompanying her husband into the concentration camp. And there is something, I mean, you, we mentioned at the very beginning of this podcast, uh, mouse, and there is something of Holocaust. Uh, there's a, there's a feeling of similar to the Holocaust literature, I think. um, in in this in this book, but but her willingness to just go to be with her husband, uh, and then the the way that um that she has to struggle with with not having the disability that everyone else has, uh, and and in the ethical all of the ethical <laughs> things that come up about how she helps and why she helps and who she does and doesn't help, um.
0: And the fact that she becomes no a, a murderer uh, in this. Uh, well... And, uh, yeah, murderer, murderer, she takes a <laughs> life. She, she calls herself a murderer.
1: Right, but I don't think anybody reading this book is going to think uh, less of her because of what she does. And yeah. um, and I think in her heart of hearts, she realizes that that, that was something that had to be done. Um, uh, and... But just the, like the physical, like you said, physically, emotionally, um, mentally, to have to live with the burden of sight of the entire world um, is is just so exhausting to her. And that moment when the first blind man regains his sight and she weeps, um, you just feel the, the weight <laughs> that she has felt <laughs> for all of this time. And uh, that's powerful. I think she's, a, I, she's an amazing character. I mean, we talk about great characters and great stories. She's... <laughs> she's up there, yeah. Yeah, she's really high on the list. And I think it's uh, really interesting right to now. note that
0: the weight she's carrying isn't just that she has to be the one who guides them and she has to be the one who goes out to look for food. It's that she's the one who sees what's really happened. Uh, so uh, one time when they're wandering through the city and she sees uh, a corpse and... Uh, the state of the corpse and the animals that are around the corpse make her throw up and everyone else says "Uh, what just happened? And she's like, oh it's just a dead dog and just caught me by surprise. Um, Something (laughs) along those lines. But she's she's the one who can actually witness uh, how bad things are and yes, everyone else has their sense of smell that says the sewers, the sewage system is not functioning, uh, and that you know grave grave digging hasn't been happening. They they smell how bad things have gotten, but she's actually witnessing it in a way that they don't, and she doesn't share that part of the burden with them. She keeps that to herself.
1: Yeah, and the way that she is able to connect with with everyone, especially, I, I there are a few scenes in this book that that stand out to me and I think will for a long time. Um, And one is that the scene after the doctor has been with the, with the girl with dark glasses and she says, you know, you must call me too. Uh, And the way that uh, this, this thing that, I mean, like that's the worst thing that could possibly happen, right? Is to see your husband in bed with another woman, uh, especially a younger, you know, more beautiful woman than you are. And yet her, her whole response to that is um, charity and humility and kindness to this woman and pity, feeling pity for her. And, and that rather than that, you know, there being some big, huge dust up, the husband is kind of embarrassed, <laughs> kind of, you know, like s- <laughs> sneaks away. And then these, wo- these two women have this beautiful, touching thing in which she, she just says, y- you know, you must be so lonely. And it uh, kind of caresses her face and, and that they are able to walk out of that having this like ironclad, you know, <laughs> friendship. Um, it says a lot about the doctor's wife and who she is. Uh, and then the other scene I think is when she's out on the balcony uh, washing in the rain and the other one can come out. And again, there's this solidarity between them um, and it's just awesome. She's just such a great character. I absolutely agree. And I think on that note, we're going to
0: wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us, listeners. And please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. If you're a new listener, a note about our back catalog. We switched up our format a bit at episode 13. And our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to check out episode number 20 when we talk about the graphic novel Mouse or episode number 23 when we talk about Hunger Games for another version of a dystopian future or a dystopian uh, reality, I guess. Links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. And that's where you can also find a list of all of our previous shows. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at You can follow at protagonist pod at Todd K Mac or at Jay Dorowski and our producer, Andrew is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners and we'd love for you to stop by and say hello or add a comment to any uh, feed that's happening. If you would like to support the show financially, there are a few different ways you can do that. You can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking the support link on our homepage or going directly to patreon.com protagonist all supporters on patreon receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or discuss trailers for upcoming films you can also go to protagonistpodcastcom slash amazon to make all of your amazon purchases just a reminder it looks like regular amazon it costs you nothing more but we get a small kickback whenever you make You purchase there. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening. and We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. But if you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go back and check out episode... 23. Thank you, Todd. Episode number 23 when we talked about uh, the graphic novel Mouse, or episode number That was
1: all I got, sorry. (laughs)